Lunch with Pippa Hudson. And now, Consumer Talk featuring Wendy Nola. Always great to have Wendy with us in studio. Welcome to the thanks, show. Thank you, Pippa. And thanks for bracing, braving the heat outside to get <laughs> to us today. Aircon. Thank goodness for that. We are starting with a story about how consumers can be duped into buying fake gemstones. Then we're going to give you feedback on a, a, a conversation we had last year around some dodgy pain relief products that ended up causing pain instead mm-hmm. of alleviating it for some of our listeners. Uh, interesting to note that a similar product has just been removed from the shelves of one of the major retailers. We'll tell you more about that. And then we have a bit of a recycling update linked to a product that's being used a lot because of COVID-19 and the covered sort of protocols. So that's all coming up in the hour ahead. And just a reminder that if you have a comment you'd like to share with us uh, on those topics, you're welcome to call in on 021-446-0567. You can Tweet us at Cape Talk or at PJC Hudson. Send an SMS to 31567 or leave a voice note on 0725671567. Wendy, all that glitters is not gold. This week we're finding out that all that sparkles is not, not necessarily diamond. a real diamond. Yes. So I learned a lot in, in the run-up to this show. Lab-grown synthetic diamonds are flooding the market because um, without the right expertise and equipment, uh, you can't tell them apart from the real thing. So it's not a problem as long as you're not buying one thing thinking it's the real deal. The other thing, the more expensive. Exactly. Um, So we'll be engaging with a local gemstone expert about this fairly alarming phenomenon. Okay, before we bring him in, just I know you've done some interesting background reading on on why diamonds are so particularly sought after as symbols of commitment. Okay, well, thanks to our expert mainly. I'm the first person apparently, to have offered a diamond engagement ring is said to be Archduke Maximilian of Austria, who gave it to Mary of Burgundy in 1477. So a long-standing tradition then. Fairly long-standing. And and why diamonds? Because they represent everlasting life and gold represents purity, pure gold, that is. And the circle represents everlasting love. Um, It never ends. Um, We won't talk about the divorce statistics. Let's let's stick to the (laughs) romantic bits. So in 1947, De Beers came up with the slogan, A Diamond is Forever. I didn't know originally earlier that it was that far back um, because it's still very much with us. Yeah. And um, it's a pretty winning catchphrase for the hardest and toughest material on earth. Um, Although it treated badly um, and it will scuff and and um, not be as perfect as it once was it's okay. not completely indestructible but diamonds are as we know very expensive which is why there's a market for other clear sparkly stones and rightly so not everybody has the budget to you know spend hundred thousand whatever on an engagement, on an engagement ring. ring it's just yeah. not workable for, for for so many for most of us um, and as I said just now, the problem is not that they exist. The problem is that um, what you don't want, obviously, is for the lab-made ones or the other forms of, uh, of of diamonds to be passed off as the real thing at the real thing's price. price. Um, and that's what is happening inevitably, as you do with any product that has a premium, whether it's food yeah. or honey or olive oils. And at the somebody, higher end of yeah. it. Somebody <laughs> finds scale. a way to come in with a, yes, with a fake version. Course. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so we thought with engagement season coming up, you know, you always see the, the, the rush of, of announcements used to be in classifieds and now it's on Facebook <laughs> around Christmas time. Um, we would, we we're going to chat to accredited senior gemolog- gemologist Jeremy Rothen of Kenilworth. He's uh, with the Gem Lab um, and we want to know from him what the latest scams are. It's not just diamonds. 
and most importantly, how we can protect ourselves. Jeremy, it's great to have you with us on the show again. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Welcome. An absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Wendy, do you want to lead the conversation? Yeah, sure. So we've got natural diamonds. We have lab-grown diamonds. We have, I'm not even sure how to say, moissanites? That's right, yeah. Um, So what is the difference between them? They all look great and they sparkle, but um, what is the difference between them and also how does that impact on their price? Um, Well, a synthetic moissanite, we call it synthetic. I think I must just uh, make it clear what a synthetic is or lab-grown compared to natural. Mm. All it is is that nature has crystallized the gemstone in a man-made environment. So okay. if I asked you to make sugar crystals, you'd mix a solution of sugar and water, put it in the sun, or if you put it in the oven, you'd need to get the time and the temperature right in order for nature to grow the sugar crystals. Okay. Um, if you don't get that right, you can end up with toffee or something like that. <laughs> That's a great so analogy. That, <laughs> yeah, so that sugar would be synthetic sugar. It is sugar 100%. So a natural diamond and a synthetic diamond are... A synthetic diamond is a diamond in every respect. The chemical composition, optical, physical properties are absolutely exact. With moissanite, um, you do get them naturally, but the crystals are too small to use in jewelry. So, in fact, in industry as well. It's, um, so they synthesized it, and now they can produce pretty big ones. And uh, it was named after a guy called Henry Moissan in the sort of late 19th century. Mm-hmm. But now they've become very, very popular um, the properties between the two are completely and totally different. So a synthetic moissanite would be an imitation of a diamond. Um, it's, it's, it's like a cubic or anything else that doesn't have the same properties. So when we talk about a synthetic or lab grown, it has the same properties as the natural stone. So if um, we were to put a, sorry, Jeremy, if we were to put a, a, a diamond, be it lab created or naturally occurring next to a moissanite, um, a synthesized one. Could I, with a naked eye, having the two of them side by side, tell the difference at all? Do they, does one sparkle more or have a different, I don't know, color? Okay. Or? Um, if you are familiar with diamond or moissanite um, and you had them side by side, um, you may get an inkling to say this one looks a little bit different to the other. It gets pretty involved because, um, um, I don't want to get too involved here, but if, a, for, for example, a moissanite is double refractive, which means the light that goes and splits into two different wavelengths. With a diamond, it's just one. It's a single wavelength. So if they've cut it, that when you look at it from the top, you're getting that what they call a double refraction. Everything's doubled. And in that respect, you might just see the difference. Even sparkly. Yeah, they, they, they cut it on the side. So that it, it, you don't see the double refraction. Oh, and in that respect, you'd need to use some form of magnification like a, a jeweler's loop to be able to distinguish between the two. Okay, let's talk about price now between those let's, those three, the, the natural diamond, the lab diamond, and the, and the moissanite. Okay, I just worked it on a one-carat round brilliant cut diamond mm-hmm. um, with a color F and a clarity grade of BS2. A stone, a diamond like that would cost you in the region of 170,000 mm-hmm. rand. Mm-hmm. A synthetic diamond of the same size and quality would sell between 30 to 80,000 rand, depending on who you bought it from and also the quality of the cut and so on. Sure. A synthetic moissanite of the same size of 
the same quality, uh, you'd be looking at approximately 6,000 rand. Okay. So it, dramatic I, that's difference. a big, big difference. Jeremy, can I jump in? Why such a big yeah. difference between the synthetic one I'll and the one natural diamond? Is it because of the labor involved in bringing the diamond that is sitting in a, an alluvial pipe somewhere to the surface versus the cost of growing it in the lab? Mm. Um, to grow a synthetic diamond in a lab is very expensive. Mm. Um, so, and, and, and obviously, you know, with a natural diamond, you've got all the mining costs and all yeah. the rest of it that goes with it. And, but apart from that, you've got the control. You've got the government controls. You've got the beers at one stage. Um, so you've got controls which control the price of the natural stone. But it is very expensive to mine diamonds. Yeah. Whereas moissanite also being expensive to, to produce it, obviously you don't have all the mining costs. And what we're finding now is a price battle. And um, so dealers are, are, are battling each other to get the, a cheaper price to get the business. And particularly with COVID, that everybody's trying to get a deal. So you'll see the prices vary considerably uh, with a synthetic moisture. Where diamond prices are pretty fixed, although some dealers are also discounting them to, to just get the business. Try and move the stock, yeah. Mm. Okay, just for those who've joined us late to the conversation, we're chatting to uh, Jeremy Rothen of the Kenilworth-based The Gem Lab. He is a, a professional gemologist and uh, chatting to us about uh, these different kinds of stones and the different pricing and their qualities. Now, Jeremy, as we said at the start, there's absolutely nothing wrong with buying a moissanite ring if that's mm. what your budget and your desire is. The problem comes in when dubious sellers try and pass one off as the other and charge the the others pricing for it when selling it. Um, you've said that in some cases it's very hard to detect the difference just by looking at them. Um, how, how is it possible that people pass on um, one under the guise of the other, whether deliberately or, or otherwise? Um, you know, I'll just tell you a story that happened recently. Um, a gentleman phoned me and asked if he could come and have a diamond checked here in front of us. And um, a woman came in uh, with this so-called diamond. She placed an ad. And um, we check it in front of the client, obviously, because if we go to the back, you know what happens. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Things happen in the back, which don't really happen. But anyway, and we checked in front of it was a synthetic moissanite. Mm. Um, I'm not sure what money was involved, but it was a large stone. So I can only imagine in the region of eighty to 100,000 rand. Um, so she was trying to pass off a synthetic moissanite as a natural diamond. He wouldn't have known any different unless he had it checked. Sure. Um, I found out a little bit later that, he'd, that she had actually bought the stone from one of our local dealers who sold it to her as synthetic moissanite. So this was a deliberate con. Con. She bought okay. it and tried to sell it as a natural diamond. Um, but the only way to overcome it is to get, make sure that before you buy any stone, colored stones or diamonds or moissanite, that they have been checked by a reputable lab. That is your only way of, of being secure. And there are a lot of the, the, um, certificates and reports out there which are also uh, fraudulently made in the, in the backyard type of thing. So it's got to be a reputable lab. You can always phone that lab. You can always check whether they've done, you know, check the stone or not. But that's the only way to get around all this. I mean, we're seeing a lot of stuff coming through. We're seeing um, black moist, synthetic moissanite sold as black diamond. We see more, I think, synthetic black moissanite than we do black diamond, for instance. Mm. We're getting glass coming through, lots of glass, imitating tanzanite. And the sure. optical property of the glass um, on a refractometer, is one of the instruments we use, is the same as tanzanite. So people are buying the tanzanite, the glass, as tanzanite. And we had a client recently um, who bought a piece of glass 
uh, for 10,000 rand as it turns out. Now oh, she's no, trying to fight no. to get her money back. So as um, I always say, rather check first than, than have to go fight in after. Tr- too trusting and then you've got the big battle on your hand. Once you've spent yeah. your money, it's so much harder. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and what's the, I mean, how has trade been recently? I mean, a lot of weddings have been put off because of COVID. Are you seeing an mm. uptick now in in the in yes, trade of these stones? Yeah. Okay. The, the, the industry. I think there's, there's a new vibe out there. I feel anyway because the um, the look like a whole industry is starting to pick up. Um, you know, I'm sure the tourists are going to start coming in. So yes, there's definitely a positive vibe out there. Um, uh, which is great. We also find that some of the younger generation are going for other gemstones, not just diamond now. They're not going for a synthetic diamond or a moissanite. They're going for colored stones. And, yeah. um, as, as engagement, engagement rings. rings. Oh, okay. As engagement rings. And, uh, you know, they, they sometimes set their birthstones in it with, with diamonds. Oh, mine's but, a diamond. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, they're accepting now that all gemstones are beautiful and um, there's Fantastic. a place for all of them. So long as there's disclosure and the right price and people keep it honest. And quite honestly, most of the jewelers are absolutely honest. It's when dealers are... are um, you know, supplied with synthetics, and then it goes through down to the public. And the the only way to overcome that is to make sure that it's certified or being checked by a reputable lab. Okay. Jeremy, two interesting listener questions coming in on our WhatsApp line. Chris asking, is there any truth that the diamond conglomerates are flooding the market with synthetic stones to try and drive the price of the real thing? <laughs> That's actually quite, quite amusing because De Beers have actually done that. They've actually flooded the market, or they're trying to flood, or they are flooding the market with synthetic diamond. Um, for whatever reason, I think we can guess what the reason is. Um, so, the, <laughs> yeah, that, so that is true. true. They, they are. Okay. Yeah. And then the other question is from Brian, who is wondering whether the moissanite is as hard as a diamond for industrial use. I, I would guess probably no, because I don't think anything is as hard as, mm-hmm. as a real diamond, is it, Jeremy? Uh, the diamond on the most scale of hardness, a diamond is 10. And then you've got the next hardness would be ruby and sapphire. So moissanite comes in just above ruby and sapphire. It's still nowhere as hard as a diamond, but it is the most durable gemstone other than a diamond. In fact, some of the dealers uh, that are known in Cape Town actually give a lifetime guarantee on the moissanite, against scratching and abrading and and so on. Um, But they are... Yeah, they're harder than ruby and sapphire, but um, not as hard as diamond. So could they so be, be used in industrial? Around about 9.4. Sorry? Is, is that hard enough for use in an industrial setting? Um, I'm not sure about that. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if synthetic moissanite was used in, in industry. I, I've got a feeling it was. Um, diamonds, as, as we know, about only about 20, 25% of natural diamonds and synthetic diamonds are used in industry. It's only, only, I mean, I mean, 20 to 25% are used in jewellery. Yeah, the rest um, are in industry. So they were cultivated yeah. and they're really to be used in, in industry. Okay. An email in from Anita who wants to know why a diamond is worth so little when you want to sell it. She mm. says a ring valued at 116,000 rand. Sorry, the jeweller only wants to give you 2,000 rand for that. Any comment? <laughs> All right. That's, yeah. And this, this is nothing, nothing new. Um, if you walk into a jeweler and you buy a diamond for 100000 and you walk out and go to another jeweler to buy it, you'll offer you about a quarter of the value yeah. of the retail value. Um, so you're buying diamonds. Diamonds would be a long-time investment. Um, not, you're not buying a diamond at retail um, as an investment or an immediate investment. Um, people do buy in order to take overseas or something and they'll sell it overseas to get cash out. 
But um, to answer that question, um, fair market value is about half full retail and selling back to the trade, back to someone in the industry, you're looking at about a quarter. And that's about the same as on auction, they're fetching about a quarter to a third of the value. And um, unless somebody wants it, of course, and the bidding's going to go up. Um, just on that note, um, I must just also just say that, that we've had, and we've had for a couple of years now, where individuals are targeting old age homes. So they're going into the old age homes to buy jewelry at ridiculously oh, no. low prices. And the elderly person whose husband or may have, may have got it some 50 or 60 years ago, and it cost like two or 3,000 rand, which was a lot of money then. Mm. And now they offered about 5,000 or 10,000 for a diamond that may be worth 100,000. And they're selling it, and they're very happy that they got what they got, but they're not getting what they should get. So they're con artists, and they're targeting old age homes. Sure. And um, looking I wonder at how the they get let in. I mean, that's another story. They con their way in. You know, they're, yeah. just, they're usually very good uh, gift story. of the gap. Yes. Helping yeah. out, helping oh, the old dears out. It's just revolting to even yes, think about it. Revolting okay. indeed. Very quickly, Jeremy, one last question. Sarah asking on the WhatsApp how you tell a real Sundawana emerald from a fake one. Any, any comment? Um, that needs to go to a lab. But what we look for in, in, in particular areas of the world um, where, for example, emeralds are mined, you get character, the inclusions inside the stone can give us an indication of location. And what's characteristic with um, the Sandawana emeralds are actually the inclusions. Um, sometimes it goes, the inclusions we find in Zambian emeralds. So what we look for is we're looking for like sort of hair-like inclusions inside, which is characteristic of Sandawana. Um, but to tell that between the, uh, if, if those inclusions aren't in there, then it needs to come into a lab. It's quite a, it's, it, we've got to um, do research on those stones and actually study them and run a whole lot of tests in order to distinguish one from the other. Because oh. the synthetics of the lab-grown emeralds are absolutely fantastic. Ah, Jeremy, so it is possible. That's the good, that's that's the good the news. news. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy, oh, yeah, thanks. It's, it's been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Yeah, pleasure. And thanks very much for having me. Jeremy Roth, an accredited senior gemologist based at the Gem Lab. And I think, a man, we need to get back on again for a, a listener question um, um, segment at some point uh, all about gemstones. Wendy, thanks. That was a real find and a fascinating, <laughs> uh, fascinating look today. Cape Talk. Consumer Talk. WhatsApp on 072 567 1567. Kloof, not Kloof. The KZN <laughs> National in the in the room is rolling around at me. Kloof, different. Sorry, it Wendy. Be kloof, but it is Kloof. <laughs> you can take the girl out of Cape Town. Um, listen, our next story is actually a bit of a follow-up on an issue that we aired last year, although it doesn't relate to exactly the same brand, but it goes back to the use of those pain-relieving patches. Yeah. And I'm sure our listeners will remember the story of the ones that caused pain instead of alleviating it. Wendy, for those who don't or didn't hear that segment, won't you just briefly remind us of the background? Yes. Sure. So it was it was almost a year ago, would you believe, last November, we aired the story of several people who'd suffered, suffered injuries when pulling off a particular brand of, of uh, pain-relieving heat patches, Dr. Lee. Um, the one chap had very serious injury. He pulled off a layer of skin and the others were, were um, um, not quite as serious. Um, and, yeah, we, we, we shared some photos. It was awful. It was really terrible. It was yeah. really almost sort of burn-like reactions Quite. yeah yeah so now the same thing well a similar thing um not nearly as severe it happened with a clicks brand version of a similar product so i recently got an email from tammy of cape town who applied clicks own brand odorless warming pad uh, one of them to a painful area on her torso 
Um, she left it on for six hours, um, and she said it did a great job of relieving her pain, but the problem started when she tried to remove it, or she did remove it. She said, I had a funny scratchy feeling, but assumed it was from the sticky tape that was stuck to my skin, and so I put some tissue oil on it. Um, but the site soon developed large blisters. Um, I don't have a permission to use them, so we haven't shared them, but it's really not. You've seen the when, photographs. I've seen yeah. the photographs, and of course when the blisters pop, that you can see you know, it's a raw skin underneath. Um, she says it was second-degree burns. Um, she went into the Long Street branch of Clicks and showed the staff the problem, but she said the store's response um, lacked empathy, and when she followed up by sending the store an email, she was told, we have escalated your concerns to our merchandising division in order to be addressed urgently and our, with our supplier, and upon response, we'll re- provide further feedback to you. She said she told the store they should remove the product, and she was told to email head office. She did have a brief exchange with someone in the group complaints resolution team, but she didn't feel... Um, that the issue was being taken serious enough, which is seriously enough, which is why she emailed me. So I took up the complaint with clicks. I included the photos that Tammy had shared with me and uh, of her injury, and I also sent them a link to our show of last November. The one about the other product. Yes, okay. The other product. Um, I asked has you know whether clicks has received any other uh, complaints about the same product and. Um, what it considered to be a fair, reasonable, and appropriate response to Tammy's complaint. I like asking uh, companies that because rather than me saying you should be doing this or that, it's always interesting to know what what they nominate as what they exercise their mind as to what is appropriate. Okay, so what was their response? Response, it took a while to come. I got it this morning. Um, Clicks takes product safety extremely seriously and uses an ISO 13485 medical devices certified supplier for the protection of Clicks odorless warming pads. Batch release tests are also performed on the temperature delivered by the warming pads. We've been in contact with Tammy and apologize for the incident. We have taken a full report from her and have also refunded the product purchase in the interim. Um, the product is well received. It clicks in the market with over 43,000 units sold in the past year. However, purely as a precautionary measure, we have taken the decision to remove the product from our shelves for investigation. Although the product contains specific warnings to not place on sensitive skin, we will also provide expanded warnings on the correct usage instructions so that it's, it is clearer to our customers. Uh, well, that's a very different. That's, that's yes. I'm really I'm quite impressed because that's I'm a also very impressed. different response to one we got last. They're year. obviously a good seller, and now and and well, they, there was no direct answer. You'll note to my question whether they they had had other complaints. So I'm not sure about that, but. Um, to, to take the move to remove, it's quite a big thing to take stuff That's off big, shelves. It's a big move, To yeah. investigate, I think they, they should be commended. And, yeah, there are a lot of these different brands of these these um, pads, these sticky plasters on the market um, at varying price points. And uh, certainly not for very young or very old people. The skin is thin and sensitive. It's not recommended. But um, use with caution. I mean, even Tammy said they are effective. It's when yeah. you pull them off that some people, and, and it, it seems pretty um, um, random, yeah. some people have a bad reaction. Obviously, not all, because we would have been reading on, you know, on social media. It would have been. So I, I think a it's a very story. low proportion, yes. but 
But um, if it does happen to you, it's really, really not pleasant. And, you know, you look, you have to exercise some discretion here. If you know you have a sensitive skin, you know to stay away. I mean, I, I think of my own skin, Wendy. I, I know wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't touch one of these things because I know I'm a sitting duck for an allergic reaction and that kind of thing when it's pulled off. Um, you know, I'm very careful about even the kind of Band-Aid I'll use because of that. Um, 43,000 units sold. Yeah, you would think if it was a more widespread product, you would have heard more about it. But uh, again, I think it's, 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 it's a substantive move to say we'll take it off yeah. the shelves while we investigate. And I've just, um, just before we came on air, there was, I got an email from Tammy saying, um, uh, I took a look at three stores and have noticed the products have been removed. Okay. This is good news. So, so yeah. Okay. Well, well, well done, Tammy, for raising um, your voice on it. And I think that's a, that's a quite impressive response. It's a very different response to the one we got last yep. time we raised this kind of story. Thank you very much for the heads up. And Tammy, hoping you have a full recovery very, very soon. Cape Talk. Consumer Talk. Call now on 021-446-0567. Wendy, we've had several recycling conversations of late. And uh, one recurring theme has been concern about the recycling of all the different products we've been buying because of COVID-19 that we the used masks, to not buy before. Yes. You've got an update for us on uh, one of those today. A very, a very nice one, I think. Um, so... The issue, as we've often said on this show, is that a plastic product may be technically recyclable, but if it's not making its way in significant numbers, um, and the key word, that's the key part, in significant numbers to a recycling plant, it's destined to become litter or end up in a landfill or in the, or in the ocean. And, you know, that's the that's the, what the, what we really don't want that's to be reality, happening to, yeah. to plastic. Yeah. So that's been the case with trolley and basket wipes, so things that are dispensed free to us supermarket shoppers it's been some 16 years i think since they were first introduced to the market but it took covid-19 to increase demand by wait for it 500% overnight last march normal and people yeah. were grabbing them by the handful yeah. um so sanitech the joburg based company which pioneered trolley wipes back in 20, 2006 has for years made its wipes from 100% locally sourced polypropylene, polyprop as it's called in the industry, making them recyclable technically, but being so very light and small, they just weren't making it to recycling plants. However, as we've just said, with that massive spike in volumes uh, of, the, of these wipes hitting the market um, when the pandemic hit us last year, um, the company would, was determined to find a way of recycling them along with their buckets because those, those are in, also yes. 100% polyprop. Um, and uh, and they they did it. They've they've done it. I love the story. Uh, great to welcome Annette Devonish on the line, who's the marketing director at Sunny Touch. Annette, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Pippa and Wendy. Thanks for having me on the show. So tell us about wh- what your research and networking basically led you, led you to on this one. Uh, well, it's been a long time in coming, and we tried for a very long time to find um, processes to recycle our wipes. But as Wendy to take us seriously prior to COVID because the volumes were just not big enough. So our first exercise was to see if anyone was prepared to recycle them and if it could be done. So we worked with two recyclers, one in Cape Town and one in Joburg, and in the middle of 
Oh, we were actually to be... prepared to work with us. Sorry, Annette, I'm just, we're losing your line at key moments here. I'm putting you back to my producer. If we could just ask Annette to move around, hopefully find us a patch of clearer signal, please, Rafik. I'd really like to be able to hear what she's saying to us without every fourth word cutting out, as is currently happening. Apologies for that. So just again, you're listening to Annette Devonish, who is the marketing director at Sunny Touch. And if you're struggling to picture the product, Wendy, it comes in a sort of a, it almost looks like a nappy bucket, a little white tub yes. uh, with a plastic um, lid on top. And in the middle of that lid is the pull-through hole yes. where you pull out and your wipe. And interestingly, before, just the bucket itself was polyprop. Um, and the other, the, the lid and the little grip in the middle wasn't. So it had to be made nylon. It had to be nylon to make it stronger or whatever. And they've now, it's that entire thing is now 100% polyprop. So re- very uh, recycling friendly. Okay, let's try again with Annette. Sorry about that, Annette. You were saying to us that before COVID, your problem was that the volumes were just too low to make it worthwhile. But you've managed to find partners who, who are in Joburg and Cape Town now. Yes, yes. So we found recyclers that were prepared to give it a whirl. And once we had established that it was possible, that was the start. And then from there, we had to overcome all the little hurdles along the way to work out exactly how we could do this to get the wipe from the consumer wiping the trolley into the bin, from the bin into back into the empty bucket and from there to the waste collectors and from there to the waste management companies and from there back into a real product. So there's a whole lot of tiny little steps in the way on the way that we had to try and we had to try and link. And um, we are very pleased that now we feel we've kind of got those links in place and we've now going to find I'm sure little glitches, but that we can iron out. So we're a whole lot closer to the end result now, which we're very excited about. Okay, so so how I know the answer to this because I attended the launch um, at the waterfront uh, yesterday, Annette. But it was fascinating for me to speak to the, the other stakeholders, most notably the retailers, one in particular, Shoprite Group, who have always been um, very environmentally focused, certainly with the the first to get the bags made from 100% um, recycled um, plastic, etc. So they've come on board, they saw this, and you're literally piggybacking on their existing system. So they send the cardboard and the package and the plastic packaging that they get from the other products back. They call it backhauling it to their distribution centers. And now with your design system with a disposal cylinder next to with a dispenser, the idea is that that gets sealed when it's full in its little tub and gets sent back um, with the, all the other stuff. How quickly did you come to that arrangement? And um, are there any logistical problems that you're foreseeing with that as it rolls out to to, I think it was, what was the number of stores they had? It was a tr- terrific number, 1,300 yeah, and something. Something in that region. Yes, um, Wendy and Sanji from ShopRite Checkers are the sustainability managers there. And Wendy immediately said to us when we spoke to her, we've already got a process in place where our backhaulers pick up all our waste from our stores and take them to D.C. And then at D.C. they get sorted. And from there, the the waste collectors collect them and take them to the various recyclers. So they've already got, as you said, this in place. So all we need to do is make sure that our um, wipes and our buckets are ready for them and at the back of the store so that when the backhaulers arrive, 
they just pick them, they pop them into their roll containers and back they go. So they've already got it in place, which is fantastic. So their systems are there. Their sustainability systems are there. And that is why it was very easy for us to um, be able to use that same system. And the nice thing about that, too, is that they will know how many buckets go into a store and how many come out again. So we'll be able to track what our percentage um, success rate is, Mm. which I think is tremendously um, exciting. Uh, Annette, as a matter of interest, I mean, are are Sanitec the only ones in the trolley wipe business or do you have competitors in the market? And if so, do you know if any of them are doing anything like this? Um, Oh, sorry, just to correct you, Sanitech. Sorry, not Sanitech, my apologies. Sanitech are the people who do the, the toilet. I know, I'm so sorry. As I said, it's a, I realized There's good branding Sanitech for you. Sanitech wipes, apologies. Uh, no problem. Um, there are quite a few trolley wipe manufacturers and other one, uh, wipe manufacturers now on the market. There were probably only three or four of us prior to COVID. Now there are plenty. There, there are loads of them. There's nobody recycling wipes in time. And I don't even know how many people around the world are recycling wipes. That would be an interesting thing to try and work out. So we've been trying to do this before COVID. And um, so it was not something we suddenly looked at. It was we just realized that our opportunity was now because of the volume. Volume. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Okay. I could just jump in there quickly. I did ask Pick and Pay. They don't use any touch. They use another supplier. Whether theirs were recyclable or being recycled, more to the point. The answer I got this morning was the sanitizing wipes in our stores are recyclable and environmentally friendly as the wipe active ingredient chemistry is biodegradable and derived from natural products. We are working hard to set up a closed loop system to ensure that our wipes are safely recycled in the correct recycling stream and hope to roll this in initiative out to stores very soon. So that's a not to be continued. So other, the, 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 answer. the short yeah. answer is no, not yet. Um uh, what did I want to you ask also you? Looked at spa, didn't you? Yes, spa yeah. was at the at the launch. I spoke to the, the spa group's packaging manager, Devin Gultry, and he said the group. It was actually very sweet. Um, the the retailers, in a non-competitive way, um, collaborate. I forget what they call it. They have a it's, it's basically a group of them that meet on these issues. And he said, in the presence of the of Shoprite chap. Um, we are very inspired by what ShopRite has done. Um, they have a different um, business model and they've individually owned stores. But they said okay, we, yes. we're definitely going to, and they all have their different wipe suppliers, but he said we definitely want to embrace this initiative and we'll be looking to get our store owners to follow suit. But he, yeah, he said, I said more than once, he was so inspired by mm-hmm. what ShopRite has done, which was very sweet, I thought. Magnanimous, yes. Mm. Um, and then um, I suppose the question is, you know, it's not just wipes and in, in, um the supermarket settings that are now in, in hot demand since well since last year, but they've been used for sterilization in and across you know hospitality and provided by you as well, a medical um, clinics that sort of thing. Annette, are those also? Yeah. Have you found a way to get those recycled as well, or was it only in the supermarket situation that you've been able to piggyback on on an existing uh, system? So, so all the different wipes have had, they've got different substrates because it depends oh, right. on they've got to be fit for use. But just to go back a bit, sorry, Wendy, I will come back to you in time. In terms of the retailers, we want to encourage all retailers to join us in the recycling process. And even if the wipes are not ours, as long as they are 100% polypropylene, 
The whole aim is to try and work out sustainable systems to get plastics out of the single-use environment and into the recycling system. So um, we were very excited that SPA was there and that SPA is ready to take this on as well. And we've, we've engaged with all the other retailers as well. Some of them are just slower than others on the, on the uptake. But we're confident that everybody will come on board and that this will create a sustainable forward. So on the retailer side, I think it's much like, I know you were a big driver of the plastic bags. Yes. And, and I hope that we can start the same sort of program and the same sort of drive from the retailers. But just to change direction a bit, what you were saying on other wipes, medical wipes is also quite a big thing in this country. And we've already run trials with one of the big hospital groups to try and change the wipes across to be environmentally friendly and biodegradable and further than that to see how we can get them compostable and into those sort of systems. The the polypropylene wipes are used but to a much lesser degree oh, in okay. the medical areas. So it depends on their application. We do pick up all the um, all our waste buckets from Sandbits, for example, and those are already in the recycling because system. Thank yeah. you so much. Just one thing I wanted to say. What yes. happens to these wipes? They mostly get made into those beautiful um, plastic uh, crates. You know, they're taken over from the wooden ones, which okay. are not unsustainable. And, and so they make an actual product, which are used all over, informal traders, whatever. Okay. Know. So that, that's what you can think of your wipe becoming. Ending up its life cycle. <laughs> yes. That's interesting. Annette Devenish, thank you so much for joining us. Marketing Director at Sunny Touch. And yeah, let's hope that all the other retailers get hoofing on, 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 on yes. getting on board on the on this one. But well done uh, to Sunny Touch and ShopRite for getting the ball rolling there. Uh, that's where we have to say goodbye. Wendy Nona, thanks as always for being with us. Thanks and uh, we'll her. chat again next week. Will do. Just a reminder that if you need to send a, a case study to Wendy, the email to use is consumer at nola.co.za, spelled K-N-O-W-L-E-R. She knows a lot about consumer affairs. Consumer at nola.co.za. Please do remember to put the words Cape Talk in the subject line.